Before there was IMDB.com, there was Zach and Dustin. You know those guys who think they know everything about a movie without having to go on the internet to look it up? That's us, but maybe only for the years 1981 through mid-1989. No, I'd say late 1978 through early 1992. (laughs) Either way, we know movies. And even more specifically, we know soundtracks from those movies. Yeah. This is $2 Late Fee with Zach and Dustin. This is the podcast where we pick a movie and soundtrack from our youth that we loved and see if it still holds up today. All in the spirit of positivity and togetherness. Thanks for listening. On to the show. All right, all you three o'clock high fans out there, you're in for a bonus. We have Phil Juano back on our show to continue the conversation about three o'clock high and so much more. Yeah, Phil is Phil is amazing. Um, you know, we we love three o'clock high. We've uh, we, you know we had him in in the studio with Richard Tyson and uh, and Jim Walker and that was amazing. We wanted to have him back to kind of do some bonus stuff for our Patreon, and we got so much amazing stuff that we're like, oh, let's just let's just have another another bonus episode to even fuel all the great things that you can get on our Patreon. Yeah. So for all you patrons, you've heard this because it's on the Patreon only site. But for all of you non-patrons, consider signing up because this is the type of content you will get on our show on Patreon. You get a little bit more behind the scenes. You get a little bit more uh, one-on-one. You get, you, get, you get personal. You get personal questions. Um, so we have additional, you know, we have our, our $2, 6 questions, um, our, sort of our longtime popular segment where we kind of get a little deeper with our guests into their minds. Uh, but then you also, this is just like a, a, a bonus, bonus, bonus for all you three o'clock high fans. Um, and maybe you learn a little something about uh, some other movies like Flight of the Navigator. And State of Grace, which is an under-the-radar Phil Juano classic. So enjoy this segment and consider signing up. Go to patreon.com slash $2LateFee and join today for as little as $2. You're going to love it. Thank you to all of our current patrons. Uh, you know, you really help make the show happen, and we appreciate you. We sure do. Enjoy more Phil Joano. Anyone who's ever been reviewed, uh, you know, actor, writer, director, whatever, you will get 99 good reviews. Well, not that I've ever gotten 99 good reviews, but if I was two, and you'll get one bad, and the you'll walk around all day, and you always <laughs> think of the movie said was like, you know, and uh, I remember on this movie I made, State of Grace, generally speaking, no matter what the reviews said, People liked Gary Oldman in that movie. Yeah. Just he was kind of like, he, he was pre- he was still pretty new and fresh in America. He'd only done, you know, Sid and Nancy and a movie called Chattahoochee. And like, really nobody knew him here. Yep. Criminal Law with um, Kevin Bacon. Yeah. Now that come out before State of Grace. I feel like it did. Okay. Maybe around and, the same time. I don't know. So anyway, the reviews were always really positive for Gary. But that one LA Times review, like ripped him like over the top and, you know, bombastic and ridiculous and unwatchable. And of course, all the rest of the raves. And all I carry around in my head is like, God damn that. <laughs> and like, Gary, like nobody just, and you know, and it's like, I'm so yeah. over time, of course, that fades. But at the time, you know, or the yeah. movie's too long, or the movie's too this, or the movie's too that, or you, you could get a hundred people tell you, it works. And that one that rips you, that's the one you remember. Yeah. It's so it's such a horrible side of human nature that we take the criticism and give it all the weight 
and take praise and dismiss it. Right. Why is that though? Why is that that we get, in your opinion, why is it that we can get praise up and down from a hundred people, but that one time from yeah. Joe Schmo that you don't know oh, ruins you? I swear to God, you know, I have to actually purchase my own movies, you know, now and then on DVD, you know, either I lose them, I don't own them. So I'm usually like on eBay or whatever, or Amazon, I'm trying to find some <laughs> like, you know, foreign imprint of a film of mine that, that cannot be found anywhere. Like this movie Entropy, for instance. And I'll, you know, so I'll be like, oh, you know, I have these stars and all, cause you're a glutton for punishment because you just are and you <laughs> scroll down and there's like four stars, five stars. And there's like one star. This is the worst piece of crap I ever, and it'll yeah. ruin your day. Right. Yeah. You know, right. there's always really nice comments from people like even naming you and I like their other films and yeah. da, 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 you're like, nice, nice, nice. What? One star, what? So <laughs> it can be, it's strangers, not even a professional critic. And you're like, what didn't they like? So my theory on this is that when you make something and put it out there, you have to live under the assumption that it that it's going to be good and people are going to like it. Like that's kind of your standard operating state of mind. Mm -hmm. like you can't be going, well, I mean, yes, but you're always insecure and underneath that thinking, what if it sucks? What if they hate it? What if it ruins my career? What if it makes no money? All these things, you know, about be, you're going to be embarrassed. So when somebody says to you, whether it's a person on the street or whether it's, you know, Pauline Kale, and they say, yes, it was good. It's worked. You're like, well, yeah, well, hell yeah. It should have worked. Of course it worked. What do you think, Pauline? You think I was going to go out there and make a piece of crap? <laughs> Jesus, thank you. Thank you for, you know, acknowledging. I really appreciate that. That's very nice. Then when someone says, wow, really didn't work. This guy doesn't understand. You're like, it, it just, it's like a lightning bolt shock to yes. that insecure place you've been repressing and yeah. holding back and praying nobody notices, right? And, the, and it's always the thing you're the most insecure about. You know, it's like, you're like, God, I just, I don't know if I'd get away with that ending. You know, I just, <laughs> I just think that yeah. last yeah. scene is, and then it's like, the last scene is preposterous. And you literally, especially when you're in the moment, at least for me, I literally can feel like that, chill that goes physically through my body like oh. oh shit they found me out they found me out they, they and now everyone knows even the people who liked it are gonna read this and be like holy crap i was wrong yeah, yeah. <laughs> right it is bad and and you walk around and and because the truth is we're deeply insecure i think as human beings that's just the way we're humans are built and generally speaking and that you know we mask that and cover that with the hope you might call it bravado you know it manifests itself in different ways in different people right yeah so people some guys walk around some people walk around all cocky and, da -da -da, and they're insecure some people show their insecurity but the point is when you get praised you're like well yeah that's the way it should be it should be correct it should be good i i dressed up nice Someone says, you look nice. You're like, God damn right, I look nice. I worked really hard like to look oh, not, not me that I ever would. But like, I can see my wife. You, I say, you look nice. You say, thank you. God forbid I say, oh, I think there's a thread hanging off your yeah. foot. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh, my God, it was a thread. Not an exaggeration. But, yeah, yeah. right? The littlest thing. You could have just said right. 10 great things. But the littlest You're thing right. can ruin it. And it's, it's super true, obviously, when you're, when you're making a film. Right. And as you said, you, you're, you're spending years of your life on these films. It's oh. not like, you know. Well, and the other part about it, the part that I really disliked the most about being in the film industry was uh, that there's this tremendous fear that if it doesn't work, you won't get to do it again. Right. Yeah. That's the biggest thing, because people's opinions of your work kind of wears off. You know, mm -hmm. and, and in the moment, and it'll stick with you for months. It can even stick with you for years, uh, you know, if people really thrash you. But <laughs> it fades. It fades, right? You know, you're yeah. kind of like, nah, what are you going to do? Win some, lose some. You know what I mean? It's like it's like sports. It's the same. You know, you, you get all the way to the Super Bowl and you lose. It stings. It might sting for a year. It might sting for a lifetime. But you got there. And you kind of go, well, at least I got there. At least yeah. I made the film. I gave yeah. it my best shot. I didn't loaf it. You know what I mean? If you can <laughs> say to yourself, you went all out. It is true. You can walk away from most scenarios feeling okay. 
you know, be like, what am I going to do? I gave it everything I had. It wasn't like I went, ah, I'll loaf this one. And then I right. got criticized. So, um, but it's the fear that if it doesn't go well, no one's going to give you another shot. And movies are insanely expensive, particularly now more than ever. Um, and if you can't prove to the people lending you the money, because it's really what it is, right? You have an idea, you or a group of people have an idea, and you're asking ba a bank to lend you money. Now, in this case, the banks also have hired people to have an opinion. <laughs> right. So right. when you get a bank loan to build a house, they don't hire kind of architects in waiting <laughs> to come visit your house and give you opinions on whether, you know, you should get really, I don't think the porch, no, I don't think we need that porch. I really don't. You're like, well, no, but the porch is what makes the house. Yeah, but it's an extra, let me see my, yeah, see, but that's an extra $100,000 for that porch. And we're thinking, let's do this. Let's build the house and see if we need the porch. Yeah, that's right. exactly right. what happens on a movie. Yeah. Exactly. They're like, yeah, yeah, we like that chase scene. We like that chase scene. That could be good. But let's do this. Let's cut the movie together. And you know you're never going to get your chase scene, yeah. right? I mean, it's just like, it's just a way of kicking the can. So <laughs> the difference here is that they the banks have hired individuals that will have opinions about the house you're building and as you're constructing it will come down and watch you build it and have quite a few things to say about it as it goes along and then if it doesn't sell right for a big profit yeah well that they had not they had nothing to do with it yeah. what'd you do right i've literally had i literally was on a film at warner brothers back in the 90s and they made me shoot this ending. And I was like, I don't believe in this ending. <sighs> I mean, I know, and their attitude kind of was, yeah, you're just the director, shut up. We have been here for 30 years, you know, we've been here forever. You don't know, we know. So I was like, you know what, what are you gonna do? You gonna quit? I actually thought about quitting. So I was like, well, my name yeah. goes on this. I don't think this is gonna work. And then I, no one's gonna, it's gonna be, it says a film by Phil Juano at the end. It yeah. doesn't say a film by Phil Juano parentheses, and they made me do this, 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 and this. Right. So I had to do it. I did it. I was miserable. Came out. We tested it. It didn't work. And they literally were like, why did you do that? Uh... Literally. And I'm standing there out in front of the theater. I'm like, why did I do what? I mean, that ending, that just makes no, it doesn't, now that we see it, like, I go, now that we see it. Uh... You know, so yeah. they gave wow. me, a little bit of money to patch it. And by that, I mean shooting close-ups in a parking lot at Warner Brothers, like not oh, like literally God. against a black night sky to change some of the dialogue that was, you know, but not rework this the the whole uh, thing. Right, of course. Because like, the whole thing was using a lighthouse. It was all this shit. And I'm like, you know, it was, to, it, it, we were stuck. Uh. I was stuck. And so anyway, so not only do you get judged, which, like I said, stings for a while. Um, the good lasts 15 seconds and the bad can last for months or years. But the part where then you now have to go out on the next round of, you have to go to the next bank. And that yeah. bank goes, yes, we were observing uh, mm -hmm. you know, the construction of your former home. Why was there no porch? You're like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, we really thought there would have been a, I'm just surprised you didn't want a porch, right? I don't know, you know, you really, and I've uh, had that happen, like literally, literally. And now you can't say the bank made me do it because who are you talking to? Yeah. The bank. Yeah. Yeah. So you're literally, if you use the excuse of, I know, I didn't like it either. They made me do it. They go, oh, do you mean people like us? You're right. We made oh, you so do it. Oh, yeah. so you're not collaborative? So you don't like collaborating with the bank? You don't like hearing an opinion. Oh, you're saying, oh, I see. If you'd had your way, they wouldn't have had an opinion. Oh, my God. That's kind of like, fuck yeah. That'd have been awesome. Madness. So the key, and I, I realized this early on, and of course, was never able to execute this, but it's a pretty simple key. If I was ever going to teach film school, I'd be like, look, here's the deal. You got to make a hit. I don't know any other way to tell you. It. You got to make a hit. And it's really good. Jeffrey Katzberg once told me, he said, you know, you have three movies. And every third movie, you got to make a, a financial success. It doesn't have to be a home, home run, 
but you got to make a hit. Singles are okay. Doubles are good. Triples are really good. And a home run will ice you for more than three movies. He said, but you need to bat 333 in this league. Mm. He literally put it that way to me. It was really smart. He said, yeah. and you look like, because then on the fourth movie, they're going to start doubting you. And on the fifth movie, now you're batting like 100. You're batting 75. Even if, you know, it's like, you're just not going to be in the lineup. You're just mm. not. Really interesting. Yeah. And that that's literally what he said. And I'm, this is in, this is before I made uh, Three O'Clock Eye. This was in 1984. I'd just gotten out of film school and I was in his office at Disney and he told me this. And I was like, and it made sense. And I was like, one out of three. All right. Like, you know, well, guess what? You know, that never happened for me. I mean, it's pretty easy for anyone. I, I don't need to go through my filmography. Trust me, it didn't happen. And um, so you get the faith. It doesn't matter, too. They'll be like, I loved it. I loved, oh, I love such and such. Why do you think it didn't work? Why do you think? Oh, God. Was it the cast? Was it the oh. script? Was it? And you're like. The bank. Or or, or even it could, it's me. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. it's, the thing about making a movie, there's only, there's, there's eight billion ways for it to go wrong and only one way for it to go right. Yeah, right. Yeah. You know, it really, you know. It's really easy for it to go off the rails for a whole host of reasons that aren't always, you know, somebody getting in your way. Sometimes, you know, I remember John Ford also said there's there's the two most important things on any film. And, and he gave the reason why are script and cast. Then the reason why is when you're done with the movie, you can re-edit. You can even reshoot. Great films have been made that don't have incredible cinematography, you know. You can, you, you know, you can, music can be done, redone, sound can be done, redone. He said, but you are stuck with your script mm-hmm. and you are stuck with your cast. That's very wise. Yeah. And if you don't get those two things right, he was like, look, the guy made a hundred movies, over a hundred movies. And if you include his two reelers, I think it's like 125 films, John Ford. So he's like, look, I mean, this guy made Wee Willy Winky and he also made The Searchers. So he knows. He made a fucking Shirley Temple movie, right? He know. Oh my god! Would you? I mean, if there was one making of one, actually, it probably would have been Jaws or Close Encounters if I could have chose my making of behind the scenes that I would have done. But or Apocalypse Now, and because the making of this, they needed. I want more of her footage. I want more. I want all of Eleanor Coppola's footage. All yeah, of right. it. I want the dailies released. Right. Anyway, back to <laughs> Art of Darkness isn't enough. So. You want to you want to behind the scenes of Wee Willie Winkie? On for directing Shirley Temple. Oh my God! Come on, imagine like oh Jesus Christ! I just do it. Do I go to dance? Do the goddamn dance? I just have to tell you that uh, I I reference Wee Willie Winky like a semi regular basis. It's kind of an inside joke not. that I do with my son. It's just in the title. Yeah. I mean, I, so the thing is, it's like. <laughs> See, that says something about John Ford, doesn't it? See, this is John Ford, yeah. amongst many, 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 many other things, had something I didn't have. And that was like, I couldn't have done Wee Willie Winky for the studio. <laughs> sorry. Right? Like, I'd have been like, I'm sorry, guys. Like, you're under contract. I'm like, talk to my lawyer. I'm not directing yeah. Wee Willie Winky. <laughs> right. I'm not doing it. I'm not having my resume. I'm not doing it. No. Nope. Shirley Temple and I, no way. No. Nope. happening. They're like, do it or you won't make another movie, you know, but uh, all right, let's go to court. Like I would have been insane. Wow. Yeah. Been insane. Yeah. And he was like, what do I got to do? Ah, crap. All right. If I do that, can I make my, you know, darling Clementine? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can make darling Clementine. All right. We, where's Willie? Where's Winky? Let's right. <laughs> right. He doesn't get yeah. cause he's smart. Yeah. Cause he understood the game. Yeah. And he knew, you know, I got to do this to do that. And, right. That's also another thing I didn't get. One thing, a, 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 a disservice that film school does or did, I don't know about now, probably not now, but back then. So I was, you know, I was in film school in the early 80s. So what were they feeding us? Yes, all the classics, but they were feeding us the films of the 70s. Yeah, yeah. So you had this impression, be like Brian De Palma, be like Steven Spielberg, be like Scorsese, be like Coppola. Be like freaking, be like Bogdanovich, be a ma- you know, be a maverick. Yeah. Be a maverick. Take no shit. Do it your way. Yeah. Go make mean streets. Go make like three right. o'clock. It's gonna be my mean streets. Yep. You know what I mean? 
right? And, or, or my duel, you know, yeah. that, that Stephen always said, it's like duel, it's like duel was for me, but it's duel in the high school. Like that, those were the comparisons you made in your mind. So the notion that Scorsese would go make Wee Willy Winky is just like, no way, no way. Yeah. No way, DePaul, no way. Friedkin, he fucking burned down your house first, right? <laughs> right. Right, I mean, William Friedkin would come and like, he would like kidnap your children and hold them hostage. You'd be like, oh, we really what? <laughs> we really what? And, and you'd be like, okay, okay, okay. So I came out of film school. And so when I, my very first thing I ever got Hatzenberg again, I'd been out of film school for like a month. And he's like, will you read this script? It's called Flight of the Navigator. I'm like, uh, yeah, okay. So I read it. He goes, uh, what do you think? I go, well, I think I have some issues. He goes, oh, well, would you be willing to rewrite it for for us? We need it really fast. It's like, sure. So I rewrote, I didn't call my agent. I, I didn't even know how to use an agent. I didn't know I was supposed to tell my agent. Right. I just started writing it. I was like, okay. So I went home and over the weekend, I, re- I mean, I just did stuff. Came back, gave it to him. He's like, great, keep going. And I ended up getting credit on Flight of the Navigator as the, as the co-screenwriter. He goes, guess what? You got credit. You know, I met with Randall Kleiser. I love Greece like everybody did. And so I was like, oh, cool, fun, Randall Kleiser. And, um, and I ended up getting credit. I'm like, what? My first credit can't be Flight of the Navigator. <laughs> it cannot be. A kitty film? And got to remember, right, this is Disney in 1984, yeah. right? They Katzenberg and Eisner had just come over, like, six months earlier from Paramount. Disney was dead. Dead. Yeah. I had an office on the same floor, on the Amazing. same hallway, as Jeffrey Katzenberg and Michael Eisner. Wow. Jeffrey Katzenberg was 25 feet from my, my, and well, it wasn't really an office, but they gave me it was one of those little secretary's offices. Yeah. <laughs> they told me it was an office. It was like smaller than this thing behind me yeah. here. I was so excited. So, of course. Yeah. There was no one there. You're not a PA. You're <laughs> at the animation building. I'm at freaking Disney. I'm like, yeah. yeah. And I'm walking down and it's a ghost town. Wow. Katzenberg would take me to, to the commissary and it would be like, he and I like, like eating Salisbury steak that oh I think you know is probably Walt's favorite from 1953 or something. <laughs> he's like, do you want to go to the smokehouse later? Literally. Oh no, I we did. <laughs> yeah. Just sure. yes, we did go to the smokehouse. So uh, many, many times because there's like nothing was going. Right. So yeah, I get that. But back to this whole thing of what I didn't understand about what you're supposed to do to make a career work. I'm a really good example of what not to do. Hmm. And, and, I, and I say that actually not, not even joking. I, 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 re, I am a pretty good example of what, in my opinion, of what not to do um, if you get a great start, which I did. I had, I had as good a start, like literally as good a career start in Hollywood as you can be given. That's just the flat out truth. There is nothing, you, you leave film school, Spielberg says, come work for me. Katzenberg says, come work for me. You know, this is Disney and Universal and Stephen Warner's too and da-da-da. And, you know, we're going we're to make movies together. Go. And, well, it's a much longer, much longer Zoom call to get in what happened after that. But, <laughs> so, I, but the flight of the Navigator story. So Katzenberg says, you got, you got a credit. He's all excited. I go, hey, no, I can't have that credit. He's like, what? You go, no, I, I, I can't. Oh, man. So I put a pseudonym on it. Matt McManus. Matt McManus on Flight of the Navigator is me. And wow. who is Matt McManus to you? Why that Matt made? McManus. Well, well, Declan McManus is Elvis Costello. Okay. And as you right. saw my T-shirt, he was my my hero growing up. So I, I couldn't do Declan McManus because then I thought, oh, Elvis Costello, people will know. Yeah. So and then there was like this character called Matt Helm. Like Matt Helm is like this, this like, you know, two-bit detective character. Have you ever heard of him? No, I've heard of Matt Houston, but not yeah, Matt Helm. Matt Helm. So I was like, so I was like, oh, that's a really good, like, like good private detective name. The yeah. name's Matt, Matt McManus. Yeah, that sounds tough. So I went with Matt McManus. Oh, shit. Incredible. Wow. Incredible. Wow. Three days ago, someone said to me, are you Matt McManus? Oh, my God. Oh, Who said that to you? Oh, just 
Jeffrey Katzenberg. This guy loves movies. They figured it out. (laughs) That's amazing. Um, Well, here first, that's an amazing story. And thank you for sharing that. The first thing I want to say is I went to film school. I went to NYU late 90s. Exactly the same experience. Mm. Like it was exactly you you had to have a goatee and so much pretension about movies. And it would be the exact same thing. Like it's you're not you're not coming out to be part of the studio system. You're coming out to change the world with your visions of, of movies so i do <laughs> relate to that um no when spielberg offered me casper i mean i like i was like thank you so much oh my god and then i like went out to the parking like oh, casper what the fuck yeah. Casper. and i was just you know and now i don't know i mean obviously please anyone i don't even know if you're gonna include any of this but but if you do it on it's fine but you know that was that that was probably stupid it probably was I mean, because it was at the beginning of CG, right? It was Casper was like post-Jurassic Park, the beginning of really storytelling with CG. And he got a good cast. They spent the money. I don't know what my version would have been. It probably would have sucked. You know, I don't know. So maybe doing it would have been a disaster. But say you make that movie and say it's a moderate hit. And now you've proven to the world that you're good working with CG. Yeah. That opens up a whole future in modern filmmaking that making you know but who who did do casper i i have no idea and did it change their lives it did minorly well i know that yeah i'm sorry it's the guy who went on to direct um lemony snicket brad uh brad yes brad silverly okay brad silverly who by the way is a really nice guy and uh he better be I did, yeah, and I did. I well, I did a video for um, with you too for uh, that that city of that Angels movie he did with uh, Meg Ryan. Yeah, City of Angels. Yeah. Oh, and I, I did a with that Goo Goo Doll song. Is that the one? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, no, I did a U two oh. song. I no, you did the song. yeah. No, but the but the isn't the 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 City of Angels the Goo Goo's that that big Goo Goo Doll song? I feel like is the their yeah. big song. Yeah, right? in in the movie. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Nick Cage and her. Nick Cage and yeah. yeah. You two did uh, if God would uh, God sends would angels. send his angels, and that's the video I did. Oh, okay, uh, yeah, nice. And, and uh, so I, I I dealt with Brad on that a little bit, and he was he was a nice guy. And I and then Spielberg, it was so funny that Spielberg invited me to the set of Ghost Dad. And he was like, not Ghost Dad. That we talked about that. I did. We talked about Ghost Dad already. I was going to uh, bring it over to Ghost Dad, but yeah. yeah, no, but to Casper. Yeah, me and Steven and Ghost. And uh, he brought me on the set. And he's like, you know. He's like nudging me going, could have been yours, could have been yours. I'm like, all right, all right, all right. And I chose to go off and make a detective movie with Alec Baldwin that never saw the light of day called Heaven's Prisoners instead. I saw Heaven's Prisoners. I love that movie. Do you own it? Pull it up. I don't own it, but it's got Eric Roberts and it's got a great cast, actually. Yeah. It's, you know, it was one of those things that we made it for a studio that went bankrupt before we finished the film. So it's called Savoy. Yep. And Savoy made about, I don't know, 10 movies and then just folded. Oh, my God. So, um, you know, it was literally we're in post. We're not done with the cut. We're not done making it in there. Like, you're done. Thanks so much. Uh, and then New Line bought their catalog and it was out for a weekend. And that was that. You're yeah, done. New Line was releasing everything at that point. Yeah. That was. Oh, we're man. still editing. Nope. You're not. Oh, I know. You're like, <laughs> but, but, but. Like, Good enough. Wrap it up in theaters tonight. Yeah, I I I kind of want to bring it back to a conversation we had in studio. You had mentioned, and and Phil Juano's back, by the way, for everybody. <laughs> Hi, <everyone. laughs> um, you had said there were two things, and you kind of alluded this with John Ford. Two things about Three O'clock High that have kept it in the, you know, zeitgeist or whatever the 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 ether, uh, the world. What are the two things about three o'clock high in your opinion that have kept it staying alive this long, 35 years later? Well, besides blind luck, I, I, I think the, probably the, the first thing I always thought was that everybody, well, I'm not, I don't know about everybody, but a lot of people, particularly a lot of boys go through school. And even if, you know, they aren't called out to have the big fight after school or during school. Everybody's been bullied. Like everybody's been bullied. And, and whether it's, you know, psychologically or physically or, you know, it, it, 
you have, everyone's gone through that, oh my God, I don't want to go to school. I wish I wasn't at school. I want to get out of school. I wish there was a way to get out of this, you know, and, and, and it doesn't have to necessarily be a fight. You know, I think that one of the, one of the things that ended up being kind of universal it, is that, you, you know, that feeling of being trapped and that feeling of, of being oppressed and that feeling of, oh my God, this is the worst day ever. How do I get out of this? Yep. It ended up being universal. Um, in, in a way that, you know, you could say it specifically about, you know, having to fight a bully, but, but really, I think it's, it's like, you know, like he says, I knew, uh, from the beginning, it was going to be one of those days. And I think it's, it's like, he's experiencing one of those days, like everybody has, it doesn't have to be, you know, you're gonna, you're gonna fight, fight somebody at three o'clock after school. Um, and I think that, the, probably the other reason, I mean, I think that the cast has a lot to do with it. I think that oddly enough, um, you know, Richard uh, and Casey and then all the supporting cast, um, that they, they, I think there's something unexpected ab- about them that that's kept people kind of, uh, you know, kind of engaged because it isn't like, oh, I'm going to go watch that Molly Ringwald movie or I'm going to go watch, the, there wasn't any one person that kind of, it became their movie. So when you think of Pretty in Pink, like you think of Molly Ringwald, you yeah. know? Um, and you would think of Breakfast Club, you think about how that cast all blew up and they went on to do, but this is like a unit unto itself. Mm-hmm. You know, it never, that unit never really got outside of the world of, of three o'clock high. And so they really kind of only exist inside. Um, I don't mean career-wise. I just mean in terms of that dynamic where the the label of the film becomes the people as opposed to the characters. Yeah. And and um, and I think that that people, particularly you know, years and years and years of being fed stars, that I think there is something fun for people to discover and go through, and therefore more relatable, right? Because like, well, yeah. She's, yeah, but she became a movie star and yeah, he became no. a movie star and yeah, you know, that's Tom Cruise. So if Tom Cruise was in three o'clock high, more people would know it and see it and all of that. But would it have, I think, the charm? I, no, I don't think right. so. No, no, because it'd be that Tom so. Cruise movie. No. That Tom exactly. Cruise movie. It yeah. would be an early, oh, look how young he was. Oh, yep. look what he's doing. Yeah. Oh, how funny. He was afraid of a bully. He'd never do that now. Right. right? It would really. all be under the, right? It would all be really. through the prism of stardom. Mm-hmm. If Winona yeah. Ryder had played, who auditioned, had played Franny, like that would skew the movie. Yeah. Oh, well, Heather's Heather's is that Winona Ryder movie. Movie, you know? exactly. So I think there's something really odd about, and I think it kept the film an underdog. The totally. film remains an underdog of people who like it for, I think a lot, I think kind of subconsciously for that reason. They're not like, well, yeah, I relate to it, but oh, you know, he went on to be yeah. Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. Right. And and I and I think that that uh that, that makes it, I think, still discoverable many years later. Um, as opposed to an artifact. I mean, it is obviously an artifact of the 80s, but it's it's not an artifact of anyone's career. And, you know, uh, so I think that that, that also I, I think gives it kind of this underdog status that you, that you root for, which goes right along with the theme of the film. Um, so I think that, I really think that those, those two things, I think just the, the nature of the story ended up being, you know, much more universal. I mean, there've been hundreds of bully stories, right? Um, but I think what it was what, it was the layer of no matter what you do, you can't get out of this day. You are stuck. You are doomed. And then everybody's had a version of some of those teachers, you know, and I think that that, yeah. you're like, oh, I remember I had a teacher like that, or I had a, you know, so I think it ended up being relatable in, in ways that we, we didn't really know or understand at the time. I would tack on two things too. I would tack on the fact that uh, fashion played a big part in it because mm. it's not dated. It doesn't feel mm. dated necessarily. Mm-hmm. I know uh, so, so, some characters definitely have yeah. an 80s look to them. Yeah. However, your two main stars, Richard Tyson, Casey Shemasco, right. look universally 
acceptable at any decade, I guess. It's so funny you say that. I purposely did that. Really? Yes. So that's why I put him in a sweater and just regular cords and tennis shoes. And that's why I put Richard in just like James Dean, Marlon Brando, jeans and t-shirt. So I was like, everyone else can be kind of of the moment, particularly Franny, you know, yeah. his sister, who's a little bit 80s mm-hmm. stuff. So yeah. Those two guys are meant to be timeless. They are meant to be. It's so funny fact that you say that because that was a conscious, because costume designer was like, really? Just a blue sweater and blue pants? I said, yes. Wow. He's supposed to be every man. Yes. He's the every man. Yes. Everyone should look at him and say, I had a sweater and pants like yeah. that. <laughs> exactly. Right. Exactly. You know, like, yeah. which I did. I mean, like you're, it doesn't matter. You can be in the 90s. You can be now, everyone has a sweater and pants. Like you just yeah. do. And then Richard, I was just like, oh, yeah. I mean, and the leather jacket when he arrived is like, he's going to be from the wild ones. You know, I'm going to, I'm yes. just going mm-hmm. straight up classic. And you know, that's never going out of style, right? That no. look is just never no. going away. So, yeah. Whereas I think it's funny if, if you think about like, like Breakfast Club, like the long trench coat, you know, like yep. that. Right. That was that. It was cool. The combat boots and the trench coat and the thing, but it was fingerless gloves and the yeah, the fingerless gloves. Like I wasn't going to do any of that. Yep. So um, and and uh, I really tried to keep it as as neutral, particularly for the two leads, but in general, as as neutral as I could for that exact reason. Well, I'm glad I brought that up. Then amazing. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but I was going to say the other thing, the other thing too, was oftentimes I think of like my bodyguard, um, tough turf. I brought up originally on the, on the episode, uh, the bullies are relatively the same size as the protagonist, mm. but, but Richard buddy is towering above <laughs> Jerry towering yeah. to the point yeah. where it's like, it could be parody, but it's not right. And so it works. It's believable because in our mind, as some anyone who's been bullied, like you said, it's kind of a universal theme. You always exaggerate and you're like, the guy was 12 feet tall while Richards happens to be 12 feet taller than Jerry in the movie. So I think that's what works even more because it's not always portrayed that way. Matt Dillon in My Bodyguard is the same size as Chris Makepeace, right? Right. Yeah, I think it's the larger, it, there, there's the larger than life quality, kind of the mythic quality of Richard. And, and you know, as you can see, I mean, he's still, you know, it still is meaningful to this day for in, in his career and in his life because he so became uh, this kind of, like I said, mythic, larger, epic, you know, like he was King Kong is how I yes. looked at it. Yes, you know, King totally. Kong is coming to school yeah. and King yeah. Kong is going to kick your ass. It isn't like, Oh, I mean, even if you'd have cast, say, I mean, in 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 another world, you could have cast uh, Craig Maddy as the bully. Yeah, right. He, the guy that he hires to beat up uh, Richard. Was that a consideration, by the way? No, no, oh, okay. he was never in the running. Okay. Um, that I recall. Now okay. you could you probably talk to that. I can be like, I auditioned three times, but I. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Uh, uh, he, he was never, let's say, in the final group. The truth is, as much as Richard says these fourteen auditions, like I said in the in the earlier podcast, he just came in to read with other people. I mean, he obviously thought he was being auditioned again and again, but it didn't. He, I don't think he understood when you get called back that many times to read all the other actors. That kind of means you got the part, right? <laughs> um, but <laughs> anyway. Right. Because we wanted to see the combinations, you know. But um, there's really only one other actor that got considered besides Richard, and I'm, I just is he he didn't go on to be a name, so I don't mm. I don't recall his name. So I wanted and it to be like when he gets out of that car, it is like oh okay, so he's gonna have to fight a guy, even a big tough guy. You learn as good that is the ultimate yes I, I, guy I do not want. Shy of it also being like he's a serial killer. Like, so right. I didn't want it to go, <laughs> right? Like he'll also like yeah. eat your eyeballs when it's over. So we couldn't go, you didn't want to go that far. No. But in terms of like, if I just put myself in that situation, I mean, I, I, I just put, I, I 
had a, a lot of affinity for Jerry. Let's put it that way. Yeah. And, and if I, Casey and I are about the same size, and I was like, you know, and if that guy threw me up against that glass and said, I'd have been right crapping my pants. And, and <laughs> so I just was like, oh my God, I do not want to fight that guy. I want to do it. And remember, and remember what's a weird thing about it? Think about the movie. Guys, I really want you to think about this film for a second. <laughs> oh, crap. I know you haven't spent much time thinking about any of this, but <laughs> your hero for 90% of the movie is a chicken. Yes. He's, he doesn't want to, he, he like, he calls him a pussy because he won't, he does not want to fight. And not only does he not want to fight, he begs him not to fight. He tries to cheat to get out of school. He hits on his teacher. He, he blackmails the guy, right? Yeah. He does. He tries to flee. I mean, this, is, this isn't high noon where he's the reluctant hero and no yeah. one will back him up. Right. And at the end of the film, he's on his own, even though the town should have supported him. You know, Gary Cooper is just going to have to be a man and do what a man's got to do. This would be like Gary Cooper's like, everybody, everybody, I do not want to be in a gunfight with those guys. <laughs> Hello? Anybody? Um. All right. Will anyone lend me a horse? I need to get out of town. A horse. I need a horse. Right? Yeah. You would not be rooting. <laughs> you would not be rooting for Gary Cooper, would you? No. I said, what? Suck it up. Be a man. Be a. So here you've got Jerry running away, literally in every way you humanly can think of at school from this fight. And I go, and I go, wow, I was really worried about this because who's going to, I mean, we all, okay. At the beginning, you're kind of like, oh yeah, of course, you're, you, no one's going to want to fight. You know, when you're sitting with this at a certain point, you're probably going to be saying to yourself, Jesus kid, take your shot. How bad can it be? Yeah. And it, ha and that's where Richard comes in. Right. Cause once Richard slams him, you go, Okay, I think I would do anything. You had to be able to say, I will do anything to get out of that guy's. Yeah. Head. Yeah. And yeah, the steady cam shot sets it up and, and you know, it sets up his backstory of, of being someone, you know, he's beating up teachers and da 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 da. But still, I, I knew I had to go 9,500 minutes with people going, I get it. Yeah. And, and I think that's a really a tribute to Richard and Casey that they pulled that off because I think two different actors, you might've turned on them. That's you know, true. you might, you might've turned on him. Just been true. like, first 20 minutes was funny. And then after a while I was like, buddy, you're embarrassing yourself and me as a viewer, but they didn't, they didn't do that. So that's a really, uh, that was a big guy. It's really, you just took me back to that. It's really funny. I had not unraveled that fear for, for 30 years that, that yes, that <laughs> well, because right. Cause he's, he, I remember it so clearly now that you've made, that you've gotten me there that he was, you know, he's a chicken. He's, he's running, he's scared. He's, you know, but well, it makes, makes, me, so. makes me think too, that if you put somebody in this, like, like you said, a Tom Cruise, but I think of like a Rob Lowe and, right. and another director or writer, whatever would, would have a scene where Rob Lowe is the nerd but takes his shirt off to like change his clothes and he's got like rock hard abs. Yeah, yeah, and then, yeah, yeah. And then Franny's like, oh my God, maybe this yeah. guy does have a shot, right? And right. so you build up this potential, but you yeah. never build the potential through the whole thing. You Please always do. keep it down low, which I think is ultimately more relatable because nobody wants to get in a fight. No. You know, unless you've been beat up at wherever at home and then you're used to it, right? Mm. So it's like, this is the thing. Like he doesn't, everyone wants to avoid the confrontation. That's right. But, but what then I think, um, so then what I tried to do in, in the rewrites of the script is I realized, okay, you have to dial up and make more extreme the people that are in his way. Yeah. Right. So, you know, the guy who runs the student store, he's crazy. Jeffrey Camber's crazy. Like, what do you mean? What are you talking yeah. about? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like, you know, like, God damn it! you know, and then, you know, you've got, you That's know, the Duker. yeah, exactly. This is whole read like the student story is his life. Yeah. Like, okay, Jerry is, and then you've got the Duker chasing him, and then you've got Delinsky, and then you've got the crazy principal who should be like, you know, you know, at, at Sing Sing, you know, it's it's the whole thing. 
So you want, you've got the mean math teacher, you've got the, the crazy history teacher, you know, Hector was rubbed into that. So you've got, so you just gotta be going on top of everything else. This guy's in an insane asylum. <laughs> no wonder he wants to get out. No. And, 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 and so you kind of like, wow. They, and then the kids betting on him, right? No, I'm betting you're going to go down. Like, so everyone's uh, yeah. against him. Everyone's betting on him. The girl who wouldn't give him the time of day is suddenly going, are you going to come to a party? And he's like, whoa, what? Yeah. Like, none of it. So, so, so I think the pressure coming in makes you even root for him more like, like, well, not only do you not want to fight, but holy crap, everyone's coming at you from every angle, which then kind of distracts a little bit from the, I don't want to fight. It really becomes more of a mission of a clever way to get out of an insane asylum. Totally. And it is to not fight him because he really doesn't come back and confront a buddy again until the gym scene. Right. Yeah. He says, I'll pay you, you know? And, and that's what, that's like, they have that. And then he changes his mind and then he says, I'm no pussy. Let's fight. So really they only have those scenes at the beginning and those scenes at the end. So it isn't, the rest of it is him trying to get away from crazy people. Brilliant. And I think that that's also what takes some of the heat off of you kind of forget about, yes, you know, it's about the fight. You're like, Oh my God, I'd want to get away from this place if there wasn't a fight, you know? And you don't see Buddy throughout that at all. You don't know what no. he's doing, which adds to the mystery of like, what the hell yeah. is this kid doing? Yeah, he's just like time? doing his locker. Or he's just slow-mo down the hallway or he's just, you know, he's lurking. He's just lurking. And, uh, and even the test thing is not about, I'm going to beat you up or fight. It's about, we can be friends, right? We can, I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you. We're going to help me in. And, and, and here we are, like just two guys yeah. in a math class. Yeah. That's all we are. That's all we are. You yeah. know, I struggle in math too. I struggle in math too. Let's try to, if I were, oh God, this is going to be great. And then of course he can do it. And he's like, oh my God, this guy, you know? And uh, um, I'm very disappointed in you, Jerry. John P. Ryan. Yeah, right. I, he what? turns us in his chair. That was his idea, the actor. You know, he, he, he's looking at Ted Sloan, the principal, you know, just turning yeah. and thinking. And then, you know, he, he's, and, he's, and he breaks the pen and slaps the ink up against the family portrait. Oh, my God. Classic. <laughs> um, so so you so you mentioned last thing about three o'clock high really quickly or not. Um, you had said in the interview that there were a lot of inside jokes, uh, like besides Delinsky, that or references to your own kind of experiences. Can you share a couple things that, uh, um, the, uh, well, the, the, you know, I just, when I, I wasn't that far removed from high school when we made, when we made three o'clock high. And so, you know, we had had a student store and, you know, we'd had a, and I, I had, I had worked in the student store and, uh, there might've been an advisor who was very obsessed with the student store. Um, you know, I had I had a very precocious little sister uh, uh, who was very, very similar to Brie. Um, she would have said something like cripple the dick for sure. Um, <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, the the whole uh, the library thing, I think I talked about a little bit because, Jim, yeah. you know, I'd always fantasized in my high school. We had a very similar setup in my high school and but i was always bummed out because they had these metal bars across the tops of all the if you go oh. to libraries take a look some libraries have these metal bars that go across the tops of the stacks right because earthquake pushed them over an earthquake or whatever they would they would topple into each other and crush yeah. people mm. or whatever. so they have these bars so funny in my mind i never thought earthquake i thought no, so kids can't push them over. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's why. <laughs> I'm like, damn, they are serious about kids not pushing over those bookshelves. It's of course it's earthquakes. That's hysterical. <laughs> and um, I had a, a Mr. Bull, the math teacher. That was a that was literally my math teacher in high school. Uh, Jerry, you know what are you doing, Jerry? Like he was a, a big gruff. Uh, uh, like football coach. It's great. Um, I cast a lot of the, the, the nurse uh, might've been, there might've been some similarities to cobbler um, there, <laughs> there. So I, what I did was the instances, the specific instances, um, you know, uh, there are there. I had my 
I had my bullying experience never with someone as intimidating or <laughs> frightening as as uh, Buddy Ravel. But yeah, I also, you know, had the, um, you know, I'm going to fight you thing in, in middle school. It was actually middle school for me, not high school. And uh, I was I was thinking, you know, so I put a lot of um, my own personal kind of experiences and and thoughts and fears, you know, what about wanting to escape into the film um, as much as I could. And uh, so, you know, our the, the, the pep rally, you know, smashing up all the stuff that that was something that, that they did a lot at my high school. They would lower the dummy and smash it up. And mm, a lot, right, oh, you know, with baseball bat, they would do that. Oh, wow. 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 Yeah, they would, <laughs> really fucked up. would lower an effigy. And that was straight out of my high school wow. pep rallies. Yeah. I mean, I never had a skull land in my lap, but I yeah. but that was. Yes, that was. Um, <laughs> uh, and and uh, you know, I might have, I might have, w- one time in my life uh, initiated a fire drill uh, <clears throat> purpose. Um, but um, statue of limitations is exactly, yeah, exactly. But uh, uh, never, never planted a switchblade. Never did that. Never dealt with brass knuckles. But um, yeah, so. You know, and that whole opening sequence in the house and the thing that was a, would have been a, a typical morning, not necessarily microwaving my shirt, but that would have been a typical morning around my house. And I would drive my sisters to school in my mom's station wagon. And um, except her her license plate said Ma the Wah, because that was the rhyme. I, somehow we called her Ma the Wah. Ma the Wah. Ma the Wah. So everyone would see the license plate and be like, Matthew Right, because it's M A T. Like, what's Matthew? Like, no, it's Ma the Wah. Oh, ah, crap! And so it didn't work. It was like a failure. We got her this vanity plate that said Ma the Wah. I couldn't do Ma the Wah because if you read it, you'd think it was Matthew. So yeah. as an homage to my mom, I put Super Mom on the uh, license. Oh, that's, oh, that's so cool. awesome! Wow. And she had a station wagon just like that, so it was the same model. <laughs> right on, right on. That's. <laughs> That's incredible. So there were a lot of, I mean, it, there, there, God, I, I could probably go through it beat by beat and even and say, oh, that was from this or that was from that. But I have to say there were a lot, a lot of, you know, I, I had a, a crush on uh, the older, beautiful girl. Her name might've been Karen. That's a whole other connotation nowadays. Yes. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, but, but back then. And um, so that, you know, I, I just put a lot of, uh, a lot of myself into it. That's brilliant. Oh, listen, I just wanted to say goodbye and remind you that the good guys always win, even in the 80s. All right. Thanks so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Don't forget to subscribe and give us a four... Is it five-star rating? (laughs) Don't forget to subscribe and give us a five-star rating on iTunes. We really... Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a five-star rating on iTunes. If you listen to us on Spotify, that's great, too. And you can find us on the internet. (laughs) Don't forget to check out our website at $2LateFee.com. And follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Podcast. We'll see you next time. We did it. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.